Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Think about your group of friends. What drew you to these particular people? Often, our friends are those we grew up around, went to school with, work with, or met through the pursuit of similar hobbies. For Joel Peterson and Greg Marshall, our podcast guests today, this is no different. Joel and Greg became friends after Greg moved into the same neighborhood as Joel and introduced himself. They found they had so many things in common. Both are fathers of four, musicians, and have studied theology. The one thing they don't have in common, however, is race. Joel is black, while Greg is white. In this two-part episode, Joel and Greg talk frankly about the role that race has played in their lives and where and why their lives have diverged because of it. Joel speaks first. Hey, what's going on, Greg? Um, so we are here today to, to discuss the, the topic of race, talk about our friendship, talk about the implications of our friendship, what that means to us, what that means to our family, what that means to our community. Um, and so I don't know if we want to just kind of go ahead and start with how we met. Yeah, I, I remember shortly after we moved in uh, to Sherman Park, my wife and I uh, we're really excited about some of the people we had met in the neighborhood, and we were we were want, not nervous about, but wondering um, what life would be like as a white, like the only white family on the block, and um, just wanting to do life and meet people. And I'm I was in the mode of just go talk to everybody, you know, go for walks and see somebody sitting on their front steps or walking by. I was just engaging with everybody. And then I look out across the street from our house, and there you are. I think you were mowing the grass or something, and I was like, I gotta talk to this guy. And you know, what's going through my head at the time is like, man, he's gonna think I'm a complete idiot, like coming over, introducing myself, like interrupting. This is gonna be awkward, but he's my neighbor. He's gonna know who I am. I'm just gonna dig in, and it's 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 like, you know, when you meet somebody who becomes a lifelong friend. You have no idea in that moment that you're talking to somebody who you're going to be really close with. So you have all these, like, you just kind of start it. And I remember feeling right away, like, you got to be kidding me. Like, how quickly we covered books that we were reading, right. things, music that we liked. Like, within 15 minutes, I think I knew more about you than, you know, people that I've spent a lot more time with. And I think, you know, like I had had friends before who were not white. Um, for you know years, um, but there was something about like I'm starting my family, I I'm living in a neighborhood that's diverse, and I meet this person, and it's it's a it's a really cool clicking between us, and then I'm like cool he's got a family like this is gonna impact the culture of my family simply to become friends with you so I rem I remember that as a very positive experience. Do you remember that day, Joel? I, I definitely remember the day and and. and um there was a bit of awkwardness to it, I agree, but I believe it was because of the lens that I was coming from. The person that um, lived in the house that you moved into became a good friend of mine. And so yeah, that's right. um, it was difficult seeing him leave, him and his yeah. family leave. And so his kids played with my kids and it was just very neighborly how um, that was. And he was probably, one of the very first people um, I met when I moved to Milwaukee because he was next door. Um, and so 
seeing him leave created a, a little bit of a void. And then like, okay, here's someone else moving in. I had no idea who was moving in. Um, he had told me that someone had bought the house. Um, but he didn't disclose anything about you at all. He didn't or, say, it's, it's, it's this weird-looking white, white guy. dude. No, not at all. And so he just <laughs> said someone bought the house. Um, and so, um, you know, we wished them well. And then when, when we um, saw you moving in, it was, little, it was a little bit of awkwardness there um, because you were literally the only white guy on the, on the, on the street. Um, and so it's like, okay. I was wondering if anybody noticed that. Yeah, we definitely noticed right yeah. away, right away. Um, and then... Um, when you came over, as you were walking, I saw you walking over, and the things in my head was like, okay, what is this about? What is this going to be about? You know. And so I'm preparing myself um, for the unknown. I have no idea. And then we started talking, like, like you hey, said. Hey, buddy, we, do you need some new pots and right, pans? I'm selling absolutely, some. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we we really connected, like you said, on so many different levels. Um, because of our, our likes and the things that we've done, the things that we've read, and uh, it was amazing. And I can even remember uh, the conversation that I had um, with my wife afterwards. Like, man, I met our, our new neighbor, and you know, I'm coming to her with all this excitement, and she's like, you know, really? And she's she she has a, a I guess a hard time grasping our, our immediate connection, you know, mm -hmm. and so. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, she met your, your wife. What do you think it took for us to go from acquaintances to being good friends? I think um, it was the, the trust that was um, able to be built because so much of our lives crossed. Um, from you're a musician, I'm a musician. You were married young. <clears throat> I was married young. You had a family. I had a family, um, and um, you you were um, studying uh, religion. So was I. I was in school for the same thing, and so I think it was it was so much of our lives crossed paths that would it seemed almost idiotic not to to go deeper. I think what made what what makes everyone else kind of not cross paths or become uh, really good friends is that they don't have the, um, or they don't allow themselves the ability or the space or the opportunity for their lives to intersect. Mm -hmm. I think proximity plays a huge role in that. Yeah. You know, like the fact that we just lived across the street from each other, most of our hangout time was just spontaneous. Yep. And that's why when you think about the neighborhoods in Milwaukee and how many of them are pretty segregated. Um, you know, well, white people don't live over there. Black people don't right. live over there, or um, Asian or Hispanic. It was it was just really awesome to see each other randomly. I think. Yeah. And I think that's what made a lot of that possible. Um, it just seems like we would all be a lot better off if we were willing to actually spend time with each other and see each other as a rhythm. But I think what's fascinating about all of our similarities is how we ended up similar with such different backgrounds. Right. Mm -hmm. I definitely was taught not to trust. Um, and What do you mean? Like taught not to trust <clears throat> what? I was taught not to trust white people. And so my parents were born in the 40s in Alabama. 
So their idea of relationships with, with white people were totally different. I was, in the, in the name of history, I was taught almost horror stories uh, of what they had to go through, mm -hmm. what they had to endure. And they were just sharing their life with me, you know, but I don't think they had any idea that that was shaping my view of white people. And I didn't have that many opportunities to um, meet someone that would come in direct opposition of what I was being told. So if the, if the street I grew up on was, was all black people, the church I went to was all black people, the school I went to was all black people, the only thing that I have to go off of is TV and what my, what my folks told me. And so um, that's, how, that's, how that, that's how I grew up. So eighth grade happens and I have this skill to play football and I have this skill um, and, I, and I, I'm kind of smart. And so there, here comes this, this private school that's 45 minutes away that kind of hand plucks me out to play football and to go to their school. And so I go from a neighborhood that says, you probably can't trust them, K through eight, to a, a, a high school where there's only like three black people. Was that culture shock for uh, you? It was more than a culture shock. Did you have to be pretty, like, did you feel really guarded the whole time? Guarded, and I just didn't know how to navigate it. And there was no one around me that I trusted that could teach me how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. And so... Were you treated differently? Oh, 100%. Because not only was it a culture shock for me, it was a culture shock for them. <laughs> they were in the same position as me. They grew up around all white people. Yeah. Uh, what helped a lot is sports. Because when you're on a basketball team or a football team, it's about winning. And so all that other stuff kind of gets played for for the locker room. But like in between the lines, it's like, dude, this is my, my brother. Please help me not get killed. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's everybody's kind of mindset. And so um, when the invites started happening of, oh, man, come over to my house after the game. Explaining that to my parents was like, whoa, mm. you have to do what? Be careful. Be careful. Absolutely. Um, Did those kids have the blessing of their parents to invite you over, or was that awkward? Awkward, but not for all. Some of them was, like, absolutely great, and some of the parents were very intentional about um, their kids spending time with me mm -hmm. because they saw it as their, this, this opportunity for their, for their child to be exposed to something different and healthy. And then you had some parents that were reluctant about the relationship, reluctant about me as I was about them. One of, uh, one of my neighbors, this kid is like 17, and he's really smart. Yeah. He's really sharp, he's a good athlete. He got accepted to a really awesome university in California, yeah. a big, big time, and he was offered a presidential, he's, he's in the running for this big scholarship, um, but he came back and was like, yeah, I got accepted to this university, and people were like, yeah, they, they need to get a certain amount of minorities Mm -hmm. And I heard that, and it's just like, it rocks me, and I wonder, in my own self, I wonder how quickly I make those assumptions, and there's, there's moments where if I'm really honest about it, it's like, somebody looks a certain way, I put him in, I put him in a bucket, you know? Like, right. Unfortunately, you, you can't own everyone's insecurities, and you can't own everyone's perspective. He has got to have the, the internal fortitude to ignore and keep going. It's unfortunate and it's not fair, 
But that goes to the issue of race. I have to have conversations with my child and I have to teach him perspectives about life that other races don't. And it's just reality. It's not um, something that I think of fair or not or whatever the case is. I think of it as I am teaching my son or I, anyone that I come in contact with, this is how you have to navigate life. Um, and there are going to be people that will not accept your gifts, that will not accept your talents, that will automatically say that the reason that you're here is because of these reasons. Um, it is something that almost every black or even person of color period has to deal with even when they're hired to a place. You come in there with the pressure of, I have to prove myself beyond what anyone else has to prove themselves because I have to silence with my actions and with my work ethic and with my product that I'm producing, I have to silence the whispers that are happening behind me, around me, all over. The only reason he's here is because we needed minority numbers. To, to, to that child, this may be his first introduction of that, but this goes nowhere. So after he finishes college and he gets hired, it's gonna happen. And if he gets promoted, it's gonna happen. And when he, whatever situation he goes into, you're gonna have to have a level of excellence that not everyone else has to have. Is it right? No. Is it real? Yes. And I don't believe that comes from a bad place. I believe it just comes from culture. Mm, wow. Um, it, it, I don't think it's coming from a malicious place where it's just that um, if they've received 9,000 messages that people are, that, that black people or people of color are this way, and they've had five experiences, real meaningful relationships that um, oppose that opinion, their brain is still re has recorded that and, and processed that. That's powerful because I remember one of the most vivid memories I have as a kid around race, I was probably 10 years old, and you, you probably aren't familiar with uh, like the older Wisconsin Badger basketball teams, but Michael mm -hmm. Finley okay. was playing, and he was getting interviewed, and I remember him having this stocking cap on. He's like 6'7 or 6'6, six, six. and I made this comment that sounds so stupid thinking back on it, but as a little kid, I was like repeating something I had heard someplace. Sure. And I was like, wouldn't want to meet him in a back alley someplace. Right, right. And my mom was like, drop the dishes, turns around, and she's like, what did you just say? Right. And I was like, I don't know, what did I just say? Right. You know, like, and she came over and she's like, did you say that because his skin's a different color? You say that because he's black? And I was like, I don't know. It's like, you're not going to, we don't judge people by how they look. And she gave me this lecture, and I remember being, she was like freaked out. Like her yeah. face looked freaked out. Like, why is my son talking like that? And I just thinking back on the paradox of that moment where like my family had a narrative that was like didn't even, race didn't really come up, you know? We were mostly a white community. Um, my dad worked with a lot of people from different backgrounds. It just he never talked about it in a negative way or in any way. But still, even though I was in like a family that didn't really talk about it or talked positive about other races. I still had these underlying assumptions about if somebody looks that way, this that means this. Right. If somebody looks this way, it means that. 
um, just the power of, of, of media to tell that narrative. And then I remember, um, you know, in my late teens, a lot of my group of friends was mostly African-American or Hispanic. And I remember walking into stores and everybody else got followed and I didn't. And I remember asking, and at the time it was super ironic because I was the one who was a klepto. Like I, I would steal anything. And the friends that I was around were like the greatest influences I had in my life. And I remember just asking one guy, I was like, so was that bug you? Like what? Like, you know, when the guy like follows you around the store and then they don't follow me, he's like, oh, I don't even notice that anymore. That's right. just a normal thing. And it's a discipline, I think, that as a white person, you kind of have to like override your natural system. Absolutely. To recategorize and give somebody a shot like every day, all day. That was Joel Peterson and Greg Marshall. To join the conversation about race in our community, or to learn more about United Way's Diversity Leadership Society, visit the blog accompanying this podcast on our website, unitedwaygmwc.org podcast. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, John Waldbauer, and Brian McCaig. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction.